sharing good news of great joy to all people. Elation Church. Welcome to week number five. I've entitled this series Under the Umbrella. Everybody say Under the Umbrella. Ethan's going to be God for me just a minute, all right? He's going to be God for me. Because I believe consistently throughout Scripture, we see that God wants to be acknowledged as the king of his people. Can anybody agree with me? Now, as we look through Scripture, there are some times when God's people did not acknowledge him as king. But God's always wanted to be acknowledged as king. And I like to put it this way. When we live under God's umbrella, when he's king, it it puts us in position. Everybody say the right position. When we acknowledge him and honor him as king, then we wind up being under his umbrella. Under his umbrella. And you know what we get when we're under his umbrella? We get who he is and who he wants to be for us. He's a God of blessing. Everybody say blessing. He's a God of provision. Everybody say provision. He's a God of protection. And you might say, Dean, where do you get that from? I'm going to smile and say, I'm glad you asked. Glad you asked. Stay right here. Stay right here. Unless you want to come over here with me. Either way. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong fortress, a strong tower. The godly, the righteous, run to him and are safe. So when we run to him, we find safety because he's a strong tower and a strong fortress. Can somebody amen that? And just in who he is, The very first series we did when we started the church was on who God is. And we looked at name after name after name. And listen, that doesn't mean that there's more than one God because we have more than one name. Just to clarify that. Okay? But God has revealed himself in Scripture through giving us names that represent who he is. One of those names is El Shaddai. Have you heard that name before? Everybody say El Shaddai. Is your arm giving out? If you were God, your arm wouldn't be giving out. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just playing. You can put it down for a minute if you want to. If it's wearing you out, there you go. Take a rest. Got you up here too quick, but I was panicking looking for an umbrella. No, 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 that's good. El Shaddai, that's who God is. Amen? So he is almighty. He's able to completely nourish us, to completely satisfy us, and to completely supply us. Because that's who he is. He's also Yahweh Jireh. Has anybody ever heard that before? Or you might have heard Jehovah Jireh. Yahweh is, I believe, more correct for Hebrew. Jehovah is more correct for Latin. But Old Testament was written in Hebrew before it was written in Latin. Are are you okay? Is everybody okay? All right. I just got new people. I don't want you to get mad and say, boy, he's a heretic. No, it's okay. It's okay. Just trying to... If you didn't already know, I wanted to share that with you. So Yahweh, Jireh, he is our provider. 
Everybody say provision. If that's who he is, and it's what he does, right? These names that he gave us in Scripture tells us who he is and who he wants to be for us in our lives. He is Yahweh Ra. That means he's a good shepherd. I want you to think about a shepherd and sheep. What makes a, what makes a difference between a good shepherd and a bad shepherd? Huh? Takes care, right? He leads them, the Bible tells us in itself, leads them to still waters to get something to drink, leads them to green pastures. He protects them. When the enemy comes and when, when they get separated and scattered, Jesus even told a parable about, you know, when one of them gets away from the flock, he's going to leave the other 99 and go get the one. That's a good shepherd. A good shepherd. How many of you wish you would have brought your umbrella now? Since you can hear that rain coming down outside. <laughs> so he's a good shepherd. He is also Yahweh Nisi. He is our banner. And what do banners do during times of conflict? Well, their identity, because the banner lets you know. I mean, if you study history, if the flag's up at the fort, that means that if it's your flag, that means you're in control. And if it's somebody else's flag, that means you lost it. So he is our banner of identity, and he's our banner of victory. So those are just a few, well, four names of God. That's who he is. So can you see provision, protection, and blessing? See, that's who God is. And if we acknowledge him as king, we're going to live close to him and experience that. Matthew 23, 37, if you say, Dean, that's just all Old Testament stuff. Well, Jesus looked at Jerusalem, and here's what he said. He said, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings. Everybody say blessing, protection, provision. That's what mama does, right? And Jesus is saying, I wanted to protect you like this. You know, when a, when a hawk or something flies over the yard where the chickens are, the mother hen holds out her wings and all the little chicks come running underneath. And Jesus is looking over Jerusalem and saying, that's who I wanted to be for you. That picture, that's, that's who I wanted to be. But listen to what it says, but you wouldn't let me. You wouldn't let me. So in Judges, we find the story. You can hold the umbrella up now. God's people lived acknowledging and recognizing God as King of kings and Lord of lords and God. And when they did that, they experienced his blessing, provision, and protection. But the Bible says, and we'll see it again today, that there's times when they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And when that happened, God didn't move. They moved. They moved. So now, they don't experience that. Because they moved. Now, here's the deal. Jesus told us a parable of the prodigal son that showed us who the father is. And that father in that story went out to his property and looked at the horizon. 
I believe he looked at the horizon every day because one day he finally, when his son came back to his senses and he looked at the horizon, there was his son coming. So, when we step out from under, when we want to do it our own way, does anybody want to do it your own way every once in a while? You look back over your life and you said, yeah, I decided to handle that my own way instead of trusting God and honoring God in the decision and in my life and in my family. Come on, somebody. Is there only three of us or do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. Now you can sit here with your Sunday school halo on and act like you've never made a bad choice or went out on your own. But I believe all of us have dealt with that at times. Listen, when we do that, God's a good shepherd. He's a good father. He's a loving father. And he's always looking. He's always desiring me and you. He's desiring for us to come back. And when we come back, then we can step right back into his blessing and provision and protection. Okay? So that's kind of what this series is about. I tell you what, why don't you take the umbrella back out there. Everybody give Ethan a hand for check for helping me out. All right. So, Judges 17, verse 6, it tells us what's going on during the entire time of the judges. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. So since they weren't acknowledging God as king and Lord and God, now they decide to live by, if it feels good, do it. Just if I think it's right, that's the way I'm going to live. And the Bible tells us in Proverbs, it gives us a warning. It says, there's a way that seems right to man, but the end is death and destruction. See, the person who made us has spoke to us. This is our instruction for living, our manual for living. And we can find out how to live when we connect with him and honor him and acknowledge him. So, we don't live our lives After we come to Christ, after we're in Christ, Jesus is Lord, and we don't live our lives by just what feels good or by what seems right. He sends his Holy Spirit to live on the inside of us, and he leads us and guides us in truth of Scripture and in every area of our lives. And listen, you might not realize this, but I believe the Bible speaks to every area of life that we can ever encounter. Now, you may not know it yet, and I may not know it yet about the specific area, but I believe the Bible speaks to that. Okay? Now, we've looked at some unlikely heroes over the last four weeks. We've looked at the first one, who is Othniel, and he's 75 years old. And you might think, well, a judge, it's okay for a judge to be 75 years old. I mean, look at the Supreme Court. I mean, a bunch of old guys, right? And ladies. But that's not the judge that we're talking about. We're not talking about someone who sits in a black robe and 
makes decisions, legal decisions, that's not the judge that we're talking about. We're talking about a judge who God raises up to, to lead a military campaign against the enemy. Now, how many of us would pick a 75-year-old man to take the first sword and run out in front of all the young people with a sword leading the charge in the battle? We probably wouldn't, right? Because when you're 75, you're retired, you've moved to Florida. You're just going to chill out a while. You've, you've already fought your big battles. Okay? Then we looked at Ehud. The Bible calls him a left-handed man in most of our English translations. But if you look at the word, if you look at the Hebrew, it says that his right hand was closed up. So I don't believe it was just that he picked up the pencil. They didn't have pencils, but picked up the rock to throw at his little brother or whatever. I don't believe he just automatically just used, preferred his left hand. If his right hand is closed up and unusable, chances are he's handicapped. So, would we pick someone who is physically handicapped to lead the charge? If we were voting and like picking out who's the person, I mean, we're going to look for the strongest, the, you know, right in there in the good age of your, of your physical strength. Then we get, we get the Shamgar. Farmers are strong, but he's just a farmer. He took on about hundreds of Philistines with a stick, an ox goad, and whipped all of them. Whipped hundreds of trained Philistine soldiers with a farming utensil. And then we looked at Deborah. I mean, we wouldn't want to put a lady out front with a sword leading the charge, but she wound up in the military campaign because of a weak, spineless guy who didn't trust God. Deborah, godly lady, and then J.L. Who remembers J.L.? She's a bad mamma Gemma. She took a tent peg and nailed the, uh, the captain of the guard, Sisera, nailed his head to the ground. Whoo! What about that? I told you last week, Judges is not a chick flick kind of book. If you, if you want a chick flick, go to Song of Solomon. If you, want, if you want an action movie, go to Judges. So today, there's so much that we can learn from our next judge, we're going to wind up looking at him for two weeks. I'm going to look at him for two weeks. So this is part one today. Judges chapter six, we're introduced to our next judge. His name's Gideon. Who's heard of Gideon? And like I said, there's so much to learn. We're going to be talking about him for more than one week. But before he's introduced and before we get to his story... Something different happens this time in the first 10 verses. 
In every other story that we've looked at, God's people have done evil in the sight of the Lord, and then they've gone through a season of oppression, and then they cry out to God, and then God sends a deliverer. But this time, he sends a prophet first before he sends a deliverer. Judges 6, 1, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. What did they do? They started worshiping false gods. And when they did evil, just like you saw that picture, I want you to keep that in mind. When they did evil in the sight of the Lord, when they turned away from God and turned to the gods of the imaginations of the Canaanites, you know what? They stepped out from under. It's blessing and provision and protection. God wants them to come back as soon as they come to their senses and come back but he's going to let them go just like he will let you and me go. And he will say, you know, I'm very sorry and I'm grieved. We looked at it the first week. There was a word that showed us that he was grieved. He didn't want them to do this. But it's like when they do it, it's almost like see how that works out for you. If that's what you want, that's what you're going to get. That's a rough place to be. When we don't honor him and submit to him as king and Lord, acknowledge him as our God, we move out from under. Back to verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. If that's what you want, here you go. See how that works out for you. Now listen, because of the disobedience of previous generations, if you were here on week one, You've got it all. If not, go to YouTube and look at week one. If you don't believe me, there's a whole lot of foundation and I can't preach all five messages every week and six messages next week and seven, (laughs) you know what I mean? So because of their disobedience and the disobedience of their parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents, Israel was surrounded now by pagan nations who worship false gods. That's not what God wanted them to be. It's not where he wanted them to be. It's not what he told them to do. But they failed to do what God told them to do. Now the Midianites, long lost cousins. That's who the Midianites are. They're descendants of Abraham. How many of you know that after Abraham, after Sarah died, that Abraham got married again? and had six more boys after he turned 140. Hello? Don't mean as much to the young folks as it does it over. He had six, 140? Yeah. They named one of their six sons Midian. Everybody say Midian. And how would you like to name your child Strife? You're just setting your kid up for failure when you name your kid Strife. Midian means Strife, and the Midianites are descendants of Midian. So these are long-lost cousins that for hundreds of years have moved farther and farther and farther away from God to the point where God said, I can't let you go any farther into wickedness. That's another part of the story that I'm not going to preach today. Verse 2, the Midianites were so cruel. Everybody say cruel. 
that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. And we often try to run away and hide from the consequences of the choices that we've made in our previous actions. Can anybody look back over your life and recognize that? Sometimes we try to run away from the consequences. But what they're dealing with is the consequences of their choices and their actions. Verse 3, whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel. Camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, the goats, the cattle, the donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts, a swarm of eating all vegetation grasshoppers. I'm just swarm of black. They were just thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels too numerous to count. And as you can see in our stories, I mean, we've had counts on a lot of these things. and We're going to have a really big count by the end of this story, but there were too many camels to count. They stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel, God's people, was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Sounds pretty bad to me. Sounds pretty bad. They're hiding. They're living in fear. They've ran to the woods and the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. They, they don't want anything to do with these people. And they're coming in. They're stealing all of their livestock. I mean, you can't just run to Walmart or Publix and get groceries. You've got to grow your own. If you want eggs, you got to go get them out from under the chickens every morning. I mean, you know, it, and their enemy just wiped them bare. They were reduced to starvation. See, here's what we need to know. Instead of trying to run away and hide from the trouble that our choices have brought on us, like Israel did for seven years, we need to be quick to run to God. Hello? Repent's not a big word that a lot of people want to talk about, but repent just means if you're headed in one direction, you stop and turn around and go in the other direction. Some people think the word repent means that you come, you know, cry and your nose running and all that kind of stuff and you're down on your knees and some people think that that's repentance. Well, that can happen, but if you get up from praying and crying and telling God how sorry you are, and you don't change, well, you didn't, you didn't repent. So we need to be quick to repent. Has anybody ever found trouble in your life because of a choice that you made? I mean, all of our troubles are not directly from a bad choice that we made, right? I mean, not all of our troubles, but sometimes they are. Sometimes our troubles come to us because of who we're connected to. 
You know what I'm talking about. I mean, a, a family member. Or, I don't know, somebody that I work for. I mean, I've had trouble coming to my life because of the choices that somebody that I work for made. I've had trouble coming to my life because of the choices that two pastors made that blew the churches up that I was part of. And some people who were in those churches never went back to church because of the hurt that they experienced. So, trouble comes from a lot of different ways. It comes from a lot of different places. Sometimes it's our <laughs> fault. Sometimes it's the fault of someone that we're connected with. But ultimately, all trouble in this world has come down because of the sin, the original sin in the garden. And it messed this place up. Death and tragedy, sickness and disease, all those things didn't exist before the fall in the garden. So it can all be traced back. But when it's something that involves us and the decisions and the choices that we made, we need to be quick to run back to God. Not quick to blame everybody else around us. Hello? We need to be quick to run to God. Okay, that was good preaching, but we're going on. Rest of verse 6. Here's the good part. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. They finally turned to God. Finally. Seven years. Why did it take them seven years of oppression to the point of starvation? Why did it take them seven years? Why did it take them 20 years in other stories that we've looked at already? Why didn't they come to their senses and run to God? When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites, not a judge, not a military leader. He sent a prophet this time. He sent his prophet to remind his people of some very important things that they had obviously forgotten. Here's what the prophet said. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. Now it wasn't them directly. It was the generations before them, but God had to bring them out of slavery for them to be able to be where they were today. So God's saying, hey, don't forget. Look at the person beside you and say, don't forget. Don't forget what God has done for you before today. When you face a trouble and when you face a challenge and when you hit a wall, don't, don't just look at that and forget about how God has brought you through in the past. That's why God sent a prophet to remind them of this. He reminded them of God's deliverance. And I just want to throw this out there. God's grace, his acts of kindness and favor towards you and towards me should be more real in our lives today than them remembering generation after generation after generation ago. How many can, how many can look in your life and see God's acts of kindness and favor towards you? And we need to hold on to those and remember those and stand in faith when we face something in our lives. 
He goes on. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. He reminded them of what he had done, what he's done. And we need to count our blessings. We need to count our blessings on a regular basis. Verse 10, I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live. But you've not listened to me. See, God warned them as they were going in the land. He said, look, you got to drive them out. If you don't drive them out, you're going to be tempted to worship their false gods of their imaginations. You, there's going to be so much temptation for you. Don't have your sons and daughters marrying their sons and daughters because they're going to want to worship the bells and you're going to want to worship me and it's going to be trouble. God told them, he reminded them, don't worship those false gods, but you've not listened. So God reminded them of his instructions. Listen, obedience leads to victorious living. Victorious living is living under God's umbrella of blessing, protection, and provision. And I want to share this with you. When you remember God's blessings, when you remember his instructions, when you remember the times that he's brought you through, It's going gonna, it's gonna to work in moving you, changing the position that you're in. God's people were living in fear and hiding and, and hunger and starvation. But when they look back to God and God is through the prophet is reminding them all these things, what he's doing is he's moving them from fear to faith. Because when we remember his goodness... We can remember his faithfulness. And when we remember his faithfulness, we can put our trust and our confidence in him that he's not going to let us down this time because he's never let us down before. Whew. Sorry, I'm getting happy. Now, Gideon. Look to the person beside you and say, now we're going to Gideon. I know that was a long introduction, but... Could have actually preached on Gideon for four weeks, but it's only going to be two. So that was sermon number one. Now we're at sermon number two. Look at the person beside you and tell them to listen real fast. Listen real fast. Verse 11, Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. You can see that he's living in fear. He's hiding. There's, there's a wine press. They would put the grapes in there and then walk on them. Maybe you've seen that on the Lucille Ball show or something. But, in, but they would press the grapes with their feet. And he was hiding below this short wall because he didn't want the Midian. He's trying to get food for his family. He's trying to get some grain and make some bread. So he's hiding. He's living in fear. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now, it's a messenger of Yahweh. We've looked at this in the New Testament. The word angel in the Bible does not always mean 
angelic class. When we were in Revelation, we were like, write this to the angel of the church in, okay? That means messenger. It doesn't mean like an angel in a white robe with a trumpet or a sword and nine foot tall. Same thing in the Old Testament. It means messenger. Everybody say messenger. So it's a messenger of Yahweh. And the reason why I bring this out is because this wasn't just an angel. According to scholars and theologians that are a whole lot smarter than I am, this is called a Christophany. Everybody say a Christophany. Now, most of us grew up believing that the only time Jesus appeared on the earth was maybe at creation and then when he was born in the manger. But there are times, you can either call it a theophany or a Christophany, where an angel of the Lord showed up to talk to somebody and because of what happened in the conversation, all the theologians, well, most theologians and scholars say that this is most likely a manifestation of Jesus. He, he's not in a physical body, but just like we can entertain angels unaware, spirit beings can appear in physical form to talk to us. And because, listen, here's the main reason. In all of these cases, these angels of the Lord received worship. And the Bible at no time anywhere encourages God's people to worship angels. Okay? So, this is like God. This is like Jesus appearing... Now, Gideon thought it was a person, but this, this is God talking to Gideon. Just like he talked to Adam, Abraham, Hagar, Jacob, Moses, Balaam, and Joshua when they received worship. Now some of you really think I'm a heretic. But I just want to... If, if, you, if you don't believe what the theologians and scholars say, then you might be in a situation where, well, these people in the Bible worshiped angels, so why shouldn't I? Look at the person beside you and say, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. You can look it up. <laughs> That's what we learn for our, from our theological education. If you don't laugh at that, you're not going to laugh said education, like I'm smart, but I don't even know how to say education. Never mind. If you got to explain the joke, it's not even funny anymore. So verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. are you talking to? I'm a coward. I'm a chicken. I am overcome with fear. I am hiding 
trying to get a little bit of wheat to feed my family, and now you're going to come up. You must not know me very well. You come up and call me a mighty hero and tell me that God is with me. I mean, you can't be talking to me. Listen, God sees us not like we see ourselves when we look at ourselves in the mirror. When God looks at you and when God looks at me and when God looked at Gideon, he saw who Gideon could be if he would yield to God, if he would acknowledge God, if he would trust God, God saw him as it could be. And God sees you as you can be if you will yield to him. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Did they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Who is Gideon blaming for the problems that he's facing? Hello? He's blaming God. And I dare say that most of us in this room have blamed God for something that was our fault. <laughs> Don't shout me down while I'm preaching good. All right, Gideon, Gideon was blaming God for the trouble Israel was experiencing. And it's very clear, everybody say very clear. It's very clear that the trouble that they were facing, it came from disobedience of previous generations. It came from them personally turning away from God stepping out from under his umbrella of blessing, protection, and provision, and worshiping false gods. That's who's to blame. And next week, we're going to see that Gideon and his family is right up there at the top of the list of people to blame. And he has the audacity to blame God. How many of you know that doesn't work out very well? But here's the amazing thing. God's a big God. He's been blamed before. He didn't freak out and jump all over Gideon. He just said, okay. You just don't understand. <laughs> and God said, look, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I'm sending you. Not only did God see him for who he could be, he also saw him for what he could do. And when he looks at you, he sees you for what you can be. He sees you for what you can do if you will yield to him. That's what he sees. He didn't see Gideon like he saw himself. God called him to what he can do. When God looks at you, I mean, if you're in Christ, you have eternal life. You have a reason to rejoice and boast in God's goodness, no matter what you're going through today. You have victory. You're more than a conqueror in Christ, is what the Bible says. 
And he leads us in triumphal procession. When God sees you, he sees all those things that he's made available to you if you will just recognize who you are and what you have, what he's given to you and and what he calls you. And it'll make a difference in your life if you'll take hold of that. I just started reading just a few of the things, but we have a card. We went through like who we are in Christ and what we have in Christ is back there on the table. If you want to know what God sees when he looks at you, grab one of those. And the Bible verses that they came from are all right there. Let's keep going because I can't preach that five-week series either. Back to verse 15. Here's Gideon's response. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the weakest in my, I'm the least in my entire family. I'm no hero. I'm no warrior. My whole family group, all the other families are stronger than we are, and as a matter of fact, my, my little sister can beat me up. What do you mean, go and defeat the Midianites? See, for us to live victorious lives, we've got to realize who God says we are. Not what we see when we look at ourselves in the mirror. Not how we feel that we can't do it like Gideon, but I mean, I'm sure if he knows he's the weakest in his family... And all of his family told him he was a weak chicken. You know, he grew up. You're a sissy, Gideon. Your sister can beat you up. You know, that's what he heard his whole life. So we can't be focused on what we see. We got to be focused on what God sees. The Lord said to him, I will be with you. And you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Wow. Bible verses that tell us that when God is with us, when God is for us, who can stand against us? And God's on my side. I've already won before the fight starts. Hello? Gideon replied, if you're truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. He answered, I will stay here till you return. Gideon hurried home. He cooked a young goat with a basket of flour he, had, he baked some bread without yeast. Then carrying the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot, he brought them out and presented them to the angel who was under the great tree. The angel of God said to him, place the meat and the unleavened bread on this rock and pour the broth over it. And Gideon did as he was told. Gideon's first response was worship. He brought an offering. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the bread with the tip of the staff in his hand and fire, get this, fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all he had brought 
and the angel of the Lord disappeared. Right there in front, he's just watching, and it's like, fire? Where'd it go? When Gideon realized it was angel of the Lord, he cried out, oh, sovereign Lord, I'm doomed. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Gideon's worship led to a sense of awe. And I believe we all need a good dose of the sense of awe of God. We could all use that on a regular basis. Just how how wonderful and amazing and just like, wow. It's all right, the Lord replied. Don't be afraid. You will not die. And listen to this. And Gideon built an altar to the Lord right there and named it Yahweh Shalom. Which means the Lord is peace. The Lord is my peace. After his encounter with God, he had been living in fear and they heard about the past and what God had done for them and their ancestors and then their faith rose up and then now he had a face-to-face encounter with God and it ends in peace. Peace. All of us want peace. The world's peace is different than the peace that we can have in Christ. Because the world's peace depends on everything going real good all around us. Right? But there is a peace that comes from Yahweh Shalom that surpasses all understanding. A peace that we can have in our hearts and in our minds. It guards us. It guards our hearts and guards our minds, the Bible says. And even when we're facing difficult things, we can just have the peace of God. And when believers, those who are in Christ, have the peace of God on them, you know what? That's a huge testimony to the world around us who look and say, I can't believe you have so much peace. If I was going through what you were going through, I would be a wreck. It's what the peace of God looks like. And Jesus said, I'm leaving you my peace. It's not like the world's peace. I'm leaving it for you. So it's up to us to take hold of the peace of God by faith. We've got to take hold of it. It's not just going to hit us and overwhelm us just like most of the promises of God. We've got to take hold of them. Peace of God is an indicator that we move back into the right place. Now listen, Gideon was still surrounded by Midianites. His whole family was in hiding. He had just given to God what was going to feed his family, the wheat that he was putting. I mean, he just gave it. And I mean, he still 
They're under starvation. The Midianites are still there. They're destroying everything and taking everything. But he found peace right in the middle of it. Is anybody with me today? The peace of God is an indication that we've moved to the right place. And even though everything hadn't changed around us to give us the peace that the world can offer, we can have peace in the middle. What a great promise. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Don't worry about anything. How many of you have a few things that you could worry about today if you really wanted to? You got some things you could worry about? Well, the Bible says don't worry about anything. This is God talking to you. This is not the preacher talking to you. This is God talking to you right now. Don't worry about anything. How can I not worry about anything? Do you not know what's going on? Hello? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Don't be overcome with worry and fear. Talk to me. Talk to me about it. Tell me what you need. Thank me for everything that I've done. You see, what, you see how this applies to this story? Because the prophet came to remind them of what God had done. And God's telling you, don't get all twisted up and worried and in fear. No, talk to him about it. Tell him what you need and begin to thank him for the things that he's done to lead you up to where you are today. Hallelujah. You know what will happen if you'll do that? Then, if you'll do that, you will experience God's peace. See, I'm not even preaching. I'm just reading the Bible right now. If you do that, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and your mind as you live in Christ Jesus. I double dog dare you to do it. This online worship experience was brought to you by the friends and partners of Elation Church.